special guest with us today freddie how are you doing hi there guys yeah i'm good thank you um, that amazing movie <laughs> yes freddie chose this film so um thank you freddie for bringing this into our lives i My feel pleasure. like a better person for it yes um, thank you freddie it's um would you like to explain the film and why you chose it where did you hear about it uh, so I was inspired one evening while watching some Family Guy and I mean it's an unforgettable scene in a movie, uh, the dancing scene. Oh yes. Um, and, and that crops up in episode something of season 17 in Family Guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I thought well, I've heard of this movie but I've never seen it so maybe that's a good one to suggest. You were right. Um, <laughs> you were very right. <laughs> Hang on um, on that one. Bang yeah. on. I didn't yeah. know the dancing so, scene was iconic, but I can see why why it is. Um, yeah. Mm. As, so yeah, uh, basically uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme and his estranged brother have got together in the US and uh, they're both, or at least the brother is, is a kickboxer and world champion in the US. Uh, and then they hear that the scene in in Thailand is is 
second to none and uh, the brother wants to go over there and and reign champion there as well uh, so they head over um, and pretty early on uh, the brother gets basically destroyed you know mm. in a fight with with the antagonist kung po um, and then the scene is set for jean-claude van damme to basically spend a whole movie montaging his way to the final fight, which is at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> it is a uh, To avenge his brother. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. That's definitely what I saw. Um, with a lot of 80s kind of, uh, it felt like Top Gear type music. Not Top Gear, sorry, what am I talking about? Top Gun, <laughs> Top Gun type music. Um, yeah. And John claude Van Damme, who was actually the, the martial Lots choreographer on this um, and lead actor obviously and I think awful equally awful in both um, so that was that was interesting I don't know why he I don't know why he chose this role to be honest with you I don't think it highlights him very well and I don't think it plays to his strengths but we can get on to that a bit well, later maybe. I, I, I um, thought that I thought it, it really did in uh, some aspects I was like, so, like, because it's a, it's a, it's a quirky film in a lot of ways. But I thought the the his fighting ability on show was mad. The things he was doing, like some of those high kicks, you know. So it was showcasing that side of it. I, yeah, I think that was fine. But the choreographing of the fights themselves looked like one person standing still while the other person beat them down. Um, that is for about true. Three or four fights for me. That is very true. Um, but what he can do, what he can do, is always impressive because he's. Uh, trained in it, as far as I can tell. Um, yeah. And I think yeah. it also speaks to yeah. It also speaks to the time of of those kind of fight movies where maybe the technology hadn't really caught up, and they had to set up each punch pretty much individually for a mm. shot. So I think as little movement as possible on the recipient while they reframe, I think maybe has got something to do with yeah. that as well. Um, yeah, that's and, definitely uh, true. Yeah. Playing to that safety yeah. aspect. Definitely. Um, but I think we talked about, weirdly enough, I don't know if we talked about it in Attack of Those. No, we talked about it in um, Battlefield Earth, where like how Jackie Chan frames his old kind of battle or action shots. Um, and he likes to do them quite wide and he choreographs his own stuff as well. Um, it's obviously not really comparable for me at least, but no. um, you can see, I think, a big difference between how someone who is maybe not that aware of how how it looks on camera is choreographing it. Um, mm. But story-wise, um, which I suppose is the most important thing, it's a journey about a man avenging his brother um, and learning along the way. But what do you think he learned? What do you think he... Do you think he like um, grew as a person? It was it a journey that you enjoyed watching? Uh, well, I'll I'll say that it was uh, it was it was it was confusingly done in a lot of ways. But um, I felt like it got butchered a lot. I don't know if you felt this way, Sial. But when me and Freddie were watching it, we there were some moments because obviously, so he's being trained by this kickboxing master who, in typical fashion, uh, thinks he's not capable and like shuns his you know, attempts to want to train him at the beginning, but eventually like learns his, you know, you know, he learns the, the mm. craft or whatever. <clears throat> but towards the end, mm. it felt like they just ran out of what they were, idea of what they were doing. 
uh, so many, as you said before, so many training montages, and they kept cutting back to quick shots of the brother in hospital after having been beaten up by the guy. And like, did you see that shot? I think he's like patting the brother's head with a towel, with a sweat, right? And it cuts back to the training montage. Mm -hmm. so it there's no traveling between it. There's no context. It's like the director was like, oh my God, we've forgotten about the brother. Just get it, just <laughs> chuck a shot in, chuck a shot in. Um, yes. I was gonna say, the only context we have for that is, is Tyler, who when he, when he drops him off to, uh, to get trained, says i'll be back in a couple of days to take you to see your brother and yeah. like there's no there's no real i don't know visual journey of of that trip or, or representation they just yeah bang he ends up in hospital with his brother to say yeah hello. yeah um which is really funny because like he goes off training and his brother's kind of like in hospital with a broken back it seems um oh sorry drag racer outside my bedroom um <laughs> But like, uh, <laughs> Jean, I don't want to talk about Slough again. Jean, yeah, don't, don't make this my favourite part of your podcast. <laughs> this is, is oh, what goes on. Wait, wait, let, let's, let's just leave this for like the Slough corner towards the end of the, we'll have, we'll have a Slough update after the discussion because there's always something to bring up. Be it Krispy Kremes yeah. or the condition of the people in the street outside. Didn't you tell me, I mean, this is a complete, like, didn't you tell me like over Christmas was it or last year, late last year, someone just plowed into a, into a fence, a garden fence on that road? Oh, there's a roundabout. Everyone goes like drags, drag races around it and then um, crashes into the fence accidentally. And there was one time where, this is completely on to off topic, but just mm -hmm. to tell you where I live, but um, this, this guy like crashed into a car and then they, he called his mate to come over to essentially pretend to be him and they switched they switched cars and then the other person took the fall and this all happened while we were watching out the window like it was oh my God, Jesus. it was really fucking weird it was really strange anyways um <laughs> i actually completely forgot my train of thought there um i don't even know what like happened. the story in um, in the film like the the, the journey yeah. you were talking about Sorry, yes, of course. Um, his brother, his brother supposedly has a broken back of sorts, um, and he's just left there in a Thai hotel, uh, Thai hotel, Thai hospital by himself um, <laughs> to, I guess, recover. <laughs> I don't know. And um, while his brother goes off to train and to become the champion he always wanted to be, and to get with his master's niece, I suppose. Oh. Yeah. Um, the romantic subplot that nobody really needs but is always in these fucking films because I watched Rambo part two um, and I don't want to yeah. I don't want to watch Sylvester Stallone get with a woman I really just don't and, <laughs> and it, it fucking happens so I don't know why it's necessary I feel like this is all like part of like the 80s kind of like macho man um, thing I suppose it, like a romantic subplot isn't abnormal but the whole like one man taking on the world succeeds yeah. in fighting succeeds in women blah 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 like proves himself it's a it's a power sense these films are you know this is not to get too deep but like the, all these films in the 1980s were born out of a kind of time in american society where it's incredibly masculine and you know like there's that reagan era so all of these these vehicles you know there's like dolph lundgren and arnold schwarzenegger stallone Jean-Claude Van Damme, they'd all, they all had these same kind of films, you know, these really like butch, masculine action movies. And, Absolutely, uh, yeah. It's the, uh, I think, the male I think, fantasy of the time. Yeah, exactly. And I think it, when you watch this, 
you're like, well, this is kind of a, I, it's weird because I love some aspect. Like you mentioned for the dancing scene, <laughs> it's just like this is poetry. This is poetry for my eyes. I'm watching like when he did the splits and did that split punch. Oh, yeah. Damn, <laughs> that was mm. oh. But like, so it has elements of like the super macho, and this is maybe one thing it falls down a bit. It, it, the tone shifts like crazy. So you've got the macho action stuff, and you've got the weird dance scenes and the comedy th- scenes. Yeah. Um, I think at the end it really goes mad, especially with the whole rape scene. I suggested rape scene. I thought that was like, yeah, that was horrendous. I just thought it was kind of like up until then I found it like quite an inoffensive film, despite all the racial kind of stereotypes and yeah. all that bullshit. But I thought it was kind of like okay, it's just being a bit silly. And then the whole rape scene happens. So supposedly there is no rape scene, sorry, but there is a scene where it's alluded to that she is raped by the man who puts. Um, his brother into a coma, coma, not a coma, fucking hell, not a coma, but his back breaking. And, um, and then like, when it's mentioned to him, to Jean-Claude Van Damme's character, he gets kind of angry at her about it. And he's kind of like, I, I forgot what he said, but he's just kind of like annoyed almost that she was it, Yeah, is it true? <laughs> I think was the line. Yeah. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know. It just kind of veered into like something a bit like, unsavory obviously Um, but up until then it was like almost yeah like up until then I was kind of enjoying that and then it was just like I don't know I don't know whether that was just they needed something really dramatic to happen for his kind of dark night of the soul or whatever Mm. and as a beat but I think taking his brother who's already um you know crippled is is bad enough (laughs) but anyway exactly um I also think like it's interesting that it was very macho and whatever, but I, I just found like it's slightly homoerotic. I don't know if you got that at all. Hundred percent of the beginning. I, like when they first I think while Joe, right? yeah, yeah. Joe and I were watching it, I think one of the main conversation points was the cut of the trousers. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was uh... short. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah, again a sign of the times, but yeah, I think the the middle end onwards, or the middle onwards, I think parity goes out the window, <laughs> and they are chopping and changing recycled shots of this stone temple where he, he learns to be a master, and then they have all sorts of dream sequency type shots that they're cutting in, mm. basically oh to fill time until mm. until this end scene of the fight, mm. and mm. and then like we spoke about the the rape scene and that seems like an addition above and beyond his brother being being kidnapped Mm -hmm. which wasn't wasn't necessarily needed yeah Mm. because when it comes to it at the end uh during the fight Jean-Claude Van Damme has been been told he has to take him he has to lose this fight Mm -hmm. or his brother will be killed and then during the fight his brother comes back after being rescued by the master Mm -hmm. And that's that's the thumbs up to to win the fight. Yeah, I think the addition of, of the rape scene and and his motives throughout the fight for that were just almost unnecessary. They don't add anything to the story. They don't add anything to the emotion other than like disgust and and making the bad guys more bad and making Kung Po the 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 opposing fighter yeah. even worse. I think I think it was it was more just they've run out of ideas let's chuck a rape scene in there yeah 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 and it's um 
it it's really naive i think of of whoever decided that because as you said you you know that kung po is bad so why yeah why why do you need more of it and also i just i just think like that woman character is pretty much just a love interest and serves pretty much no other purpose to the story so it's just i mean i don't really know what i'm expecting from a film like this but i do think maybe it it should have just stayed on the lighter side and the more ridiculous side with the dancing and the mm. um, stretching out his legs. <laughs> well, I like that. <laughs> While he moans. Um, these these yeah. films, like, they don't get made like this anymore. I don't think they'll ever make films like this ever again. Where, like, the it, it's just so... I mean, for most of it, it's, like, pretty harmless and quaint. It doesn't have a deep mm. underlying meaning. It's just like a... It's a vehicle to showcase some cool kickboxing moves, really. Like, it doesn't have a deep emotional core. You know, it doesn't have, like, an alcoholic father or, you know, something to prove or, you know. Mm. And I kind of like that in some ways. It's just, as we said, they, they just lent into this crazy dark tone towards the end, which I think the, did the film a real disservice because, yeah. But um, it's just... A relic, isn't it? These films—they're relics, and they'll never get made like them again. So, it is interesting. Um, no, you're very right. I mean, they—they they just ended up going so dark towards the end with the Temple of Doom vibes mm. of the underground fight, and <laughs> and the the gloves or the the wraps dipped in resin and glass. Mm. Uh, <laughs> and Tyler, like really Tyler cool, coming actually. in with a uh, with a machine gun, like silhouetted oh. with the smoke. Oh my goodness. Oh. Yeah, as like uh, th this this guy was here because he's in the army. I don't know whether he was like stationed there. Or he's a veteran. I think he's a veteran, right? But it's just kind of like why was like why is he just hanging around, being like annoying stereotype of an American veteran who mm. is just like a sex pest, basically, <laughs> the locals. Um, I don't I don't know. Like I feel like it put all American like all American characters were just like really horrible. <laughs> like even yeah. Van Damme towards the end, I think. That's actually um, something I wanted to ask you guys was uh, what your thoughts were on the character intros, because mm -hmm. I mean all these people turn up in the in the first in, in about twenty minutes in you have a bunch of additional characters coming in. Yeah, I think Tyler's intro was uh, I'm ex-military sort of, and and <laughs> then he jumps in a car with him like, yeah, and then they end up at a strip club about five minutes later. Yeah, I mean that's it's... the thing. Like that, that happens a lot in in when when a film isn't as well made. And I'm not I'm not expecting this to be you know Godfather, but when when scripts or films are not well made enough, you often have characters taking central roles in the story without you even understanding who they are first. So you kind of the story moves moves away from you a little bit because you you don't know who they are really. And it, all it takes is like a scene, an introductory scene. Like we we spoke about it last week with Attack of the Clones that Count Dooku character, who's like a supposedly a central villain, and you don't know him at all until the, the story's already going. And they, that that is, I think, sort of a real issue with the film. But I, like the characters themselves, I thought they were actually quite interesting and funny in different in spots. You know, I like Tyler. I thought he was kind of like a bit of like brevity to the story. Um, you just mm -hmm. don't have that introduction to him. So it's weird, isn't it? I wonder why they, maybe they cut it out, because I do feel like this film was butchered. So it feels like it was completely butchered in the cutting room. Um, so maybe that's why. Yeah, I mean, there was, 
like for the editing there's this one shot where he's like kicking the tree which is a real thing they do in Muay Thai apparently where they uh, yeah. kick a tree over again and then he like falls to the floor and his leg is bleeding and then it's one shot with the leg not bleeding and then yeah. zoom in with the leg and I just thought like the they use three separate shots like uh, a wide-ish a medium and a close-up and it's just like just use the close-up just use the close-up like you don't need to show a lack of continuity if you just cut in straight away and i don't they did it one after the other and i was just like why would the editor leave that shot in yeah because as far as i can tell yeah. you've already fucking butchered most of it so i'm sure you could afford to lose that medium can, um yeah, I mean, can I, uh, yeah go continuity on. was on a smoke break so. <laughs> For most of that movie. I mean, the strip like, yes, I, I'm, I'm so aware of that, that scene you're talking mm. about, because it was so jarringly obvious of one minute blood, next minute, mm. uh, sorry, no blood, then bruising and blood and leaves in medicine. Mm -hmm. and also like, like continuity in costume as well. Like, uh, I think I saw it in the last fight where, um, I forgot her name, but the, the love interest was at the start wearing just um, just a Princess Leia style bikini type covering, mm. and then the next scene she was wearing a, a wrap to make it a bit more covered up. Mm. And I think that like that continuity throughout the film was just just lacking. Like it was it was not even slow changes over a period of time. It was just. <laughs> a quick a quick cut and something like something's changed and it's very obvious yeah i wonder if there was a continuity person on it or whether it was just like one of the two directors just like keeping yeah. an I, eye i think cocaine was involved to do the directing cocaine <laughs> cocaine was definitely a factor i think because i said to freddie yeah that, joe you were saying yeah uh that like when i think this is true but uh well jean-claude van damme he was coked out of his mind in the 80s like he was addicted to cocaine he said so in interviews and stuff okay um, like he said, he, between takes on the Street Fighter movie, he was doing lines in his trailer and stuff like that. Um, and I think it was either part of his contract or it was just an understanding on the part of the studio that he would basically have like a drug handler with him on set or as part mm. of the crew who would supply him. And uh, I don't know why I mentioned this, but it's just, it, <laughs> may, maybe, that, maybe that has something to do with the fact that the film does look like it was assembled by a crack addict in, in spots. So um, maybe that's something to do with it. But I think we've, you know, we've established the issues, lots of issues. Bad stuff, but yes. What yes. can we take from it as a positive in our own work or understanding of film? Anything that jumps out to either of you that you can walk away from it feeling like you've got something good? Um. I was thoroughly entertained for about three quarters of the film, definitely. Like, even though I think Jean-Claude Van Damme, like, he is so bland in the face. I don't, I, to the point where I don't actually know, I've never seen pretty much any of his other films. And I don't really know what his appeal is because, no, I've seen him in Friends and I feel like he pretty much is who he is in Friends. Um, and I just don't really understand why he's, put in a position to carry a film single-handedly but um that's a great question i found him entertaining yes yeah i mean like, it's because he's like a buff guy in the 80s obviously when that was yeah. really in style and um and like for some reason they really love europeans in hollywood at that time with yeah like i mean Dolph, it, Dolph Lundgren as well yeah exactly i was gonna say like Dolph Lundgren and Arnie 
you know, and yeah. and Jean Claude. I mean, it's weird that there was this wave of European strongmen entering yeah. movies. I mean, you watch some of the early Bless Him, but some of the early Arnie early Arnie films. Like he, you know, he's he's, he's struggling a bit with the lines, you know, and he gets obviously yeah. gets much better. But it's funny that they would just throw these men into <laughs> leading roles, as you say, just pretty much for their physiques. Really, it felt like yeah. you know their kind of physical presence. Um, yeah, but, the, but you, I think the smart thing with Arnold Schwarzenegger and and Dolph Lundgren to a degree is that they were put into roles where they were playing like fairly quiet, quiet characters for a while. Um, mm -hmm. Like Dolph Lundgren in Rocky, I think. Like I think he played that role really well, even if it was a bit one-dimensional and it was like very Cold War esque, whatever. But with this, I think it required. Um, George Conrad Dam to to show a lot of emotional um, susceptibility, I suppose, mm. and I just don't think he has the ability to because his face doesn't fucking move, guys. His face doesn't move, like his eyes mm. are dead, and his face doesn't move. So, but that also makes it quite entertaining in a lot of ways because he's doing it fairly earnestly, and I don't mm. know if it's the cocaine or if it's just like him being a very confident buff dude, mm. but. Um, it, it's quite fun to watch, especially the splits in, in the dance. So I did enjoy yeah. that part, for better or worse. I felt like I was being forced to, but yeah. <laughs> That's all I've got. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> yeah, basically Jean-Claude Van Damme is a bad actor. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> if anyone wants to debate with me, I'm happy to go. <laughs> Let's do it. Um, what about um, you guys? What what did you take? I th I think um, with these kind of stories, I think they they come up with an idea that gets okayed, mm. and they they're given a budget and they have to get whatever they need in in this amount of time to get it done. And I think maybe the story just wasn't developed in enough because I'm I'm reading now they the principal photography lasted fifty six days. Oh, wow. on location in Bangkok which is I, I, like which is astoundingly quick but makes sense when it comes to the middle middle end of the movie where <laughs> they are recycling chopping and changing between locations and yeah I think I think they just they ran out of ideas or, or didn't have enough time to to kind of let those ideas develop while they were shooting mm -hmm. mm. um and I think just just left the movie wanting a bit more character development, a bit more story, a bit more background, where where it was available, even yeah. in those locations they had. I think it definitely was available. Yeah, um, I think the really strange part is that you don't really see much of a relationship with the brothers after. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, I've forgotten his name now. Is it Eric? No, it's not Eric. Yeah, it, Eric, it is Eric is the brother. Yeah. yeah. Eric's, Eric gets his back broken and then he's kind of out of the picture. Um, and I feel like he's, he's almost just a plot device for Jean-Claude's character to, to come into the story. Um, and I think obviously the whole, you're opening with the idea of this brotherhood and them caring quite a lot about each other. Um, and you're even given some backstory about how their parents divorced or whatever and Jean-Claude grew up in Belgium, which explains the accent, I guess. Um, and then you just never see them kind of together with an emotional moment again, apart from 
his brother telling him, don't fight this guy, he's going to fuck you up. But even yeah. that comes from like a place of like jealousy almost. And that was something that I thought would be explored, which would give just a bit more depth to both of them. Um, like and to it. give a bit more of a... Mm -hmm. I like the... I liked, it was a genuinely sweet moment, I thought. At the end, when he's he comes in, gives a thumbs up, being carried by Tyler and another guy, mm. brother. I was like, oh, <laughs> that's quite sweet. But I just yeah, they missed out at the beginning. But but so so we 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 wanted to find positives. So far, we've got <laughs> we've got Jean Claude can't act, and they didn't they didn't work on the story enough, which is both valid points. But yeah, well, I mean, I think that's the the positive to take out of it is that. I think, I mean, maybe it's the times where they just had to rush things through, get, right. get content out mm. because there wasn't much. So I think maybe that's, that's my point there is that, yeah. like the due diligence on the story is, is paramount to, to ending up with something decent. Right, that's, and I that's think true. like we, we talked about how the editing room butchered it, but I don't know. I don't know what they were handed, what, what tapes they were handed and I think we literally saw the extent of the film where it was chopped and changed like that because yeah. that's what they had. Sure. Mm. I'd love to see what it looked like on the page. Um, you know? I'd love to see how it came out on the script. <laughs> um, you know, if, if, for instance, when it cuts to that shot of him dabbing his forehead with the sweat, if that was in the script, it would just said, you know, mm. jump, jump cut to whatever, or whatever, match cut, whatever. Uh, but I can't imagine that was the case. But um, I, I personally think... One thing I like about watching these old films in terms of something I can draw from them is like, it's that feeling of making a film for its own sake. And um, I like the kind of quaintness of these old vehicles. You know, they don't really do these anymore. You don't have like a main star, female or male, you know, like just primarily focus the story around them and like using them, uh, the story as a way to like get their careers moving and stuff like that. You don't really see that much anymore. And, um, I don't know, I kind of like those old style, like the old Arnie and the old Stallone pictures. Um, I don't know if they'll ever come back in that same way, but I wonder if like that tone, you know, that slightly more playful tone might come back into our, our action films. Cause they, I mean, they just, things that get too serious. I think this is a running theme that I find with these old films. So I think cinema for the most part gets a bit too serious in a lot of ways. Like we talked about with Jupiter Ascending and then Battlefield Earth in different ways, you know. Um, so that's something I take. I, I don't think it's actually stop, stopped people from trying. I think it's the popularity. I mean, you still get films coming out. We had Expendables 1 and 2, sure. which was basically a higher budget plus guns version of Kickboxer. Mm. True. Um, yeah, I think it's more yeah, that they're, but, they're but, a product of their times. Like this kind of humor is very mm. 80s and we... Like I feel like there's something quite similar in The Rock um, or Dwayne Johnson's mm. films where he's kind of almost the superstar of the same mm. um, stature. But I just don't, I think it's really hard to carry films, like especially as one person. Um, and if you don't have that charisma, which to, to a degree, like people like Sloane have and Arnold have, they do have a certain charisma about them for better or worse. Um, and it's really hard to capture that. Like even someone like Will Smith, I think, can't really carry a film nowadays by himself um, without like a very strong script. Oh my it was, god, like, that, goofy as fuck. That's a whole other. I mean, you could have like a podcast series about Will Smith's film choices <laughs> in the last. I looked at. I just 
glances Rotten Tomatoes page of the day, and he hasn't made like a certified fresh film, I think, since like Pursuit of Happiness or something, which was like 16 mm-hmm. years, 17 years ago. My God almighty, that guy has made some shocking films. Like, remember, yeah. remember Hancock? Do you remember After Earth? Do you see that one called Collateral Beauty? So. Collateral Beauty, oh my God. If you ever have a chance to check a trailer out for a film, watch Collateral Beauty. Oh my God. He, I don't know, I'm, I'm going off about Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but th- this is what I mean. It's like he he just can't. I don't know what it is. Like I don't think any. I can't think of any actor outside of Dwayne Johnson that can that can carry like. Uh, but these are like these aren't big budget films, are they? They're actually quite they're actually quite cheaply made, um, which yeah. is the other problem. Like having original, fairly cheap um, films with one person carrying it. It's it's really hard. The budget was one point so, five million. Um, Jesus Christ. How much of that was his cocaine budget, though? That's the question. And the strippers. Oh, the <laughs> so, strippers. Um, oh, the strippers. I was kind of like, they went into a strip club for, to, to have a chat, and I was just kind of like, why are they doing this in a strip club? Um, I mean... Bangkok, say, baby. Like, you get to know about their characters, but no, it's yeah, just because... Yeah, I think Tyler was just showing his Bangkok. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> Cut the cameras. Cut the cameras. This has turned into an ace. Oh, sorry. His his version of Bangkok. That's why he stayed there because I wasn't trying to make a pun on that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in terms of anything else about the film, I actually really liked the um, his master character Sien. I think it was. Mm -hmm. Although I found it quite. That he was obviously not Thai. I don't know whether he was supposed to be because the name isn't Thai, but um, he was obviously like Chinese or something. And he was also kind of doing like Tai Chi looking stuff, which was also not Muay Thai as far as I can tell. But I'm not. I'm not a. Yeah. But I thought he was hilarious actually. I I, he I was, agree. Like, nailing everything. Yeah, I think uh, the actor's name is Dennis Chan. I think he's mm. been in quite quite a few like epic movies actually. I think he was in Iron Fist and. Another, hmm. another, at least one of the uh, kickboxing movies. Hmm. He's a pro. Um, yeah, he had this like yeah. ice cool, ice coolness about him, which was like kind of like every. I mean, he, you know, he's doing what he could with the material, but like he was just. I think I remember when he started chanting, you know, "White Warrior," in the stadium, and he just whispers it, mm. and then the entire stadium just starts like chanting what he's whispering. It's like that guy has some power. This guy has some power. Yeah. He, he had like real presence on the screen um, and he he kind of, I when I first heard of the film, I thought he'd be kind of like, um, you know, in Kill Bill Part 2 with the old Chinese man who like tortures oh, the bride. Um, I thought it would be more like that, like tougher, but he was actually like a fairly friendly, like father-like figure, mm. um, which was a really nice surprise. And that also fit into the kind of like light mood of three quarters of the film um and then it just goes off the road you know what i think happened i think three um, quarters of the way into shooting that film jean-claude ran out of cocaine so he was just like <laughs> fuck everything let's just put some disgusting content in it towards the end and just get out get out of this country you know just wrapped it up with he was some... on a come down oh my god yeah. <laughs> um so if you it, it is it is slightly hard to come up with positives for this other than the fact that it's quite entertaining but if you um, were to remake it, with or without John claude Van Damme, what 
would you do differently, guys? Let's start with Joe. Uh, I would make, I mean, just, just as I think this is another running thing with these films that we watch, cut out a lot of the characters, a lot of characters in this film, which you can just simplify the story. You know, I think there's a film called Warrior. Have you seen Warrior? Um, yes. With Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. They're both, they're brothers and they're both um, UFC fighters. And one of them, and they have like an alcoholic father that is like between them both, you know, and they ended up basically joining the same fighting tournament and fighting each other at the end, you know. And I love that movie because it's like kind of melodramatic and a bit ridiculous, but the, there's genuine emotion behind it and like genuine kind of quite powerful performances. Like Nick Nolte plays the dad. He's like an alcoholic loser. He feels like he needs to make amends for the their screwed up childhood and stuff like that. And then you also get the crazy fighting sequences. So what I always find is whenever there's fighting in a film, if there's an emotional, if you're emotionally tied to it, the fighting is elevated to another level, you know, because you're really invested in winning or losing. When it got to the end of the fighting in this film, the big final fight, because, you know, I'm expecting a lot from this film, but I didn't feel like emotionally connected to Jean's character or what he wanted to do. So the fighting was just like, I was watching like a, I was like, I was just watching a fight like on TV or something, you know? So if I was going to remake this, just focus in on that, that brother relationship. And like, I thought that was a really interesting scene. Like brother was reading uh, the poster of Jean-Claude's character, you know, with the big fight coming up and he like scrumples it up, you know, he's like jealous, you know? Um, yeah. If you tie into that, like just focus in on that a bit more, I think that would then make the fighting sequences a bit more impactful. That's what I would do. Yeah, yeah I, I, I agree. I, I, yeah, I've really got to agree with that. I think there are times in the movie where it was really onto something. They'd set it up beautifully. Like some, some of the scenes that were so nicely lit, mm. uh, the story was actually moving. Like, like starting with the beginning when they're actually arriving in Thailand, I think that that boat scene of, yeah, they're in somewhere new and exciting, like lads on tour kind of thing. Mm. And, and you get a bit of intro to the area. You see the kids jumping into the water. You see them buying flowers from a boat. I think those little details really, really helped the vehicle of the movie move into this new, new scene, this new location. Mm. And um, again, in where where Jean Claude Van Damme and the love interest uh, have have the scene together with um, where he sneaks up behind her and, and in the jungle um, scares her with the flower. Exactly. Yeah, I yeah. think <laughs> I think that was really nicely set up and a nice breather from the. Uh, the action and the montage. Mm. I think um, they could have played with those a bit more, like like Joe said, with that scene with the magazine. Um, I think it, it just brought a bit more emotion into the film rather than the whole kind of basic revenge plot mm. without any depth to it. Um, I think they, they definitely set themselves up for, for a pretty, pretty good movie but then they fell short i think must have been editing or ran out of money i don't know what it was mm. uh, and they just they couldn't stretch it yeah all good points definitely all good points um i would argue that i think that the brother should have like stayed in hospital and just that simple fact would have forced him to kind of move back and forth a little bit between the city and his training area mm. um just mm. to have a bit of 
just just because it be, it does become a little bit static like it's he's kind of like training in the jungle where his master lives and then it's this kind of like um temp like abandoned temple which is really nice but once you see it like the third time it's just a little annoying and then yeah. it would just give um the story a bit more movement and mm. it would also force him to choose um whether he wants to do this training which is for revenge but also kind of for himself and for him to, to find himself as a champion and his brother who is severely injured and might not uh recover so i think just something like that would is like a simple yeah i, I say it's simple i know it would have location changes but i think I it mean, would just add a little bit more to it i think that it's it's a, it was, must have been a bit of a double-edged sword doesn't it because you cast Jean-Claude Van Damme in his role and because he can do what he can do fighting wise you've got that on his resume and you're like well that's sick I can just film that and that's mm. that's good and then but in terms of his acting ability the emotional side that's where it'll be a bit stunted so if you were going to remake this you'd have to find someone with both of those talents and that would be a nightmare so <laughs> the chances of that actually happening <laughs> I, even in my hypothetical dream world uh you know I want Daniel Day-Lewis level acting and uh you know fucking conor mcgregor level fighting ability you know that's not gonna happen but um i think just to say as well it seems to probably be a bit of a running theme with the things i say on this podcast where i'm always looking for like emotion in places where i think you're not really supposed to but i would i would say like even in the most ridiculous of action films like something like speed or something like that there's there's always an undercurrent of emotion there that that um, yeah. attaches you to the characters like even in Speed, like a mad heist film, not heist film, like a chase film, whatever, you know, you've got Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves. There's a connection there and you kind of invest in that a little bit. Um, that's all yes. it takes. It doesn't because... have to be the sole focus of the film. You just have to have that little draw the audience in emotionally for then, then you can play out the action any way you want. Like even in Die Hard, you care about John McClane getting back to his mm. kids because you connect with his character. It's just, it's, that's all it is really. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that's the kind of human part of it, um, that like people when they watch action films, I don't think they expect it because they expect adrenaline and fighting and whatever. But it's, I think it's really hard to name like a very good action film that doesn't have a very well written emotional story and a yeah. character that you can really attach yourself to. Yeah. Um, and that's the difference between like... Yeah, someone you films. continue to care for mm -hmm. after, after everything's been finalized yeah because i think you think it's like someone like john mcclain is um like a fast talking detective who can do it all and he's very tenacious but it's also because he does care for people quite a lot he does care for his wife who is estranged from whatever and i think that's for for a lot of people even subconsciously they they would they would think that's empathetic um mm -hmm. so yeah i i agree with you i don't know who you would cast in this role like yeah for like it depends if you want to to make it look good or whether you want it to feel better like well, if you want to look good you could probably get a ufc fighter in the role yeah i mean they, these films um, are always a reflection of the time and of the time in which they are made they're always a reflection you know so you could you know do it you could have a, a female lead now and you could do a, like a i don't know like a lesbian love story or something like that you know they, they, I, I love the idea that you could like have the basic uh, like elements of your typical 80 action film, but just make it much more modern mm. in terms of its attitude towards like race and sex and stuff like that. That could be amazing. Imagine we had like another like renaissance of action films in that kind of, you know, one man or one woman leading role kind of way like they had in the 80s, but it was much more updated 
you know, um, kind of societally. You know, that could be interesting. Like, I, I think that that's what's going to happen more and more as we go forward uh, into the future is that you'll have action films that just can't quite as dumb anymore because I, I don't think they can get away with it like that anymore. You know, you'll you'll have like your schlocky action films, but you can't, I mean, this is, this is just offensive in places and you could play that in the 1980s in, in America or whatever. And that would be fine. You can't do that anymore. So, um, yeah, I think I, I remember reading that, like the reason why something like, um, the new Bond films, like starting from Casino Royale, which is my favorite Bond film, but it became a lot more serious a because of Austin Powers making fun of it. So they had to change it. But oh, they yeah. also said it was because, yeah, they also said it was because, um, with the Bourne, films which became like quite serious action films at with like good choreography looked really tough he was like i think he killed someone with like he was killing people with like faults or whatever some yeah. bullshit and it, it looked like hardcore and from then on people were like okay you know what this is this is the new action film that we want to go for mm -hmm. like the nitty-gritty super realistic someone mm -hmm. like jason bourne who to be quite frank with you is like <laughs> very cold emotionally um, and not at all like these 80s heroes that are yeah. a bit... Um, I think, you know, the, mo the modern emotional. the modern version of that is that you've got your Marvel films, right? And I think the Marvel films are a bit hit and miss, but I would say something like Avengers Endgame and Infinity War is like my standard for like action-adventure film making because it's like... I mean, obviously they had 21 movies to get you invested in the characters. So they had that on their side. But the, the emotional and humour side of the characters blends in with the action to the point where you're so, I was so invested, maybe just a personal thing, I was so goddamn invested in those films by the time they ended. I know you haven't seen Endgame, Sal, and I'm partly raising this so I can tell you to watch that again, to just watch that film, because that is like the perfect <laughs> balance between emotion and action in a film, in my opinion. So but, I think it's so hard to compare those movies to anything when they've got, yeah, know, the, the, the fan base they have and the written That's stuff true. Have, but everyone knows about budget. I think yeah I think this yeah the budget but but also just people being invested in their comics for years and years and, and it being Very mainstream and but what TV I mean is like what Xiao was saying about how films uh you know that in that born era there was this there was a wave of dark is dark equals good you know like like dark kind of yeah. gritty filmmaking equals quality and that carried through to the Batman yeah. films and then into like the DC films and I just feel like hopefully we're coming out of that phase because I think everyone's tired of that now. And like a film like Kickboxer is the way the films used to be a little bit before this kind of period, you know, just a bit lighter. And I think hopefully in the future we can find that balance between dark and light. Uh, I think that's where you'll get some really interesting stories because the all dark, all gritty thing, I, it has to be done now. I think people are tired. But like the, the Batman v Superman, I think was the last gasp of that. And that was a disaster. That was just so miserable, you know. Yeah, so. it's, it's yeah. kind of playing on that kind of forcing empathy out of the the audience, yeah. making the, the character kind of kind of bland mm. and yeah. Actually, I did just see the trailer for ba the Batman. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for the Batman. That looks dark as hell. So maybe I <laughs> maybe I'm wrong, but yeah, um, it looks like it looks incredibly like 
I, I really hate films that are badly lit and I genuinely, this is a really weird one, but Alien versus Predator is so bad for that. Like, oh my God. All I want to do is watch this fucking film with an alien versus a predator, like a xenomorph versus well, a predator and I can't see shit. It <laughs> made it's, me so it's a, angry. It's a deliberate thing though because if they turned up those lights even a millimetre, you'd see, oh my God, that is a rubbery ass alien suit and a guy in a giant dreadlock <laughs> face mask. You know, it's a deliberate thing. I, but I, I, I know I mean, it's all example. I understand exactly because that sticks in my mind. That is the most disgusting lighting I've ever seen in a film, ever. So dark. Yeah, all all I can remember from that is slimy white outlines of characters. Mm. <laughs> exactly, and, and it's the and the black. thing is like. I don't think it's uh, yeah like I don't want to I don't want to go into like Alien vs Predator because then I'll talk to, talk about aliens and that will be like a whole other hour but um, yeah <laughs> I I do think like the whole dark physically dark and emotionally dark stuff is just getting a little bit like especially I I, I was talking to someone and they were saying like now after COVID um, and the whole kind of misery of that people will be wanting kind of things with a bit more sunny disposition and. Um, rather than something that makes you miserable because people have been mm. miserable for the last year. So mm -hmm. maybe this will be another turning point, a major turning point. But I can't think of like a film that is going to be released in the next year or so that, that fits that bill. Um, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is like a happy film. Well, like, that's the problem. Yeah, I, think is, um, uh, I think they're making a new Little Mermaid, a live action of that. That'll be oh, pretty, yeah. pretty happy. Yeah, what you'll find though is, is that there's a huge backlog of films that was meant to be released, so we're not going to get like the happy-go-lucky stuff just yet. But I tell you what, what what will be coming back in a big way is rom-coms. Like rom-coms are going to become like back to the cinemas properly. Like I think uh, Julia Roberts and George Clooney just signed up with Paramount to do some huge budget rom-com thing, you know. Um, yeah, because Paramount uh, starting their own streaming service as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because mm. yeah. uh, that's I think so funny because someone told me like. Oh, what well, I was just—I was just saying, like with the um, with the the streaming services, the popularity of those rom-coms is like the, that's the most popular content, I think. And even these old films they're putting on there, they do really well. So I think they're just using that as a barometer for what the audiences want. And people, I I I like a rom-com every now and again. Like, have you seen When Harry Met Sally? That's a great film. Um, yeah. And I hope I, that I, so I, hope it, I mean. The, there was a time where there were way too many rom-coms, so maybe they'll flood the market again like they usually do. They just pump them out and it dies again. But The audience has, has changed in the sense that it, it's just armchair viewing. There's no it's end of uh, having to work indoors and then you go from the medium-sized screen to the big-sized screen to, to relax. And I think, yeah, I think you're right with rom-coms being just an easy option to finish mm. up the day. You're not making a trip of going to the movies. I think the audience is looking for something to relax to, basically. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that dark, the dark, gritty thing, I think is going to, yeah, we'll see a bit less of that and a bit more how I, I mean, I love the style. I love, I love, uh, I got, but I think it was just a perfect storm for me. Like when The Dark Knight came out, it was 2008, so well, I was 16 years old. I mean, that was like heaven, you know, but even, I think Dark Knight is an amazing film, but if I watch it back now, there are parts of me where I'm slightly like, eesh, that is just a bit, miserable like overly miserable <laughs> i mean um so but i what i find i love about film is that maybe you using kickboxer as an example there's periods of films and they're like film trends you know little like couple year periods where films are different kinds like certain kinds of films are like prevalent you know 
and the like, 1980s this is what most films were like not most films but like this is what the, the 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 movies of the day were like this kind of film right and it's just interesting to think about where what what will be the next big film phase you know i think we've kind of gone through the superhero thing now a bit i mean i still like those films but i you know i could do without them for a while now i'm just interested to see what, what do you think the next thing is going to be you know um i hope More it's going to be like shots. smaller budget yeah <laughs> No Madland, but with just that eagle shot. Um, for those who haven't watched Kickboxer, it's uh, there's this great shot during a montage where this eagle's got its beak open, just staring into space. It looks like it's it's doing a hard, hard. hard what is the significance of the um, eagle? <laughs> what I is think this? it's just to represent like a freedom or strength or something. I don't, that's usually what it represents in like shows. Yeah. So. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't. I don't want to read too deeply into. It. <laughs> I don't want to like get lost into a hole of like no. whatever the writer was thinking. Um, but yeah, mm. I, I I hope it will be like kind of mid-budget indies or something. But I mm. really doubt it. <laughs> Any slow updates? The Portaloos have gone, right? The Portaloos aren't there anymore. They are gone. Yeah, they're gone. Good. So what um, Portaloos? Sorry, I think I missed that part of it. There were portaloos outside of um, Tesco during like peak COVID, which I don't think is good for anyone. Um, mm. But yeah, they've been taken away. Joe had the uh, fortune. I live so I live literally like less uh, than ten minutes away from from Tesco, and then Joe decided to go to the portaloo instead of coming to the bathroom at my flat. <laughs> oh <laughs> my god! Really on you. We've spoken about this portaloos twice, two weeks in a row. But I just have to reiterate the, the scene I found in that portaloo. I will never forget. It was astonishing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you guys have any, any news you want to share with our podcast listeners. Um, <laughs> but that's about, that's, that's my, that's my history. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm still in Budapest for my, my stint of work here. Uh, with, and we've got some even tighter restrictions coming in from Monday. Uh, so on top of, everything being closed they're closing more shops um so now it is like like the uk where you can pretty much only go into a supermarket or a pharmacy um then we also have an 8 p.m to 5 a.m curfew which is strictly enforced so yeah i mean it it could be worse i mean you come back from work at the end of the day and you're not allowed to leave the house which is ideal um or not that's not um Actually, I've been meaning to ask you, Freddie. Like, what? Um, so, for your for your job, like, is there uh, is does it make you look at films differently when you watch them? When you watch something like Kickboxer, do you pick things out? Yeah. So, so since since I started, I mean, I guess four four five years ago now, uh, in um, in equipment rental, it you you really see the the tools of the trade. And you, I'm around them daily, and it's. Uh, I mean, you don't see how how they use, but you you familiarise yourself with it. You you get to chat to the crew, mm-hmm. and uh, I think what it has has made me realise or or pay notice to is how how uh, how the sensor picks up what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, like I was often talking to Joe while watching the movies, like, do you reckon that's crane? Do you reckon that's transferred, mm-hmm. like, from, from equipment to handheld? Or 
So I'm, I'm constantly looking for how lights set up, where the camera is, what kind of equipment they're using, what kind of technical crew I think would be involved. And that actually becomes my main focal point for, for watching a film now, rather than uh, getting too emotionally invested. I just wanna, wanna see how good or bad the crew is, which is, which is <laughs> hey, hasn't that, ruined it for me, but it, yeah. That is the I, nightmare I going, to, uh, going to film school. That is the nightmare where you're sat and overanalyze the shit out of every film you watch to the point where you, I felt like I was sucking all the joy out of it for God's sake. I was just like watching a film. I couldn't even focus on the story. Every single thing of it, I'd be like, how do they do that? What do they do that? Well, you know, it's, it's mm. weird to think how I used to watch films. And I wonder if it was better back then. <laughs> now, you know, I don't know the way you feel. Sarah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I feel like to an to to a degree like I, a certain magic has gone from it, um, <laughs> especially like because you know how it's made. especially because like we've made short films like so um, not like of the caliber of Kickboxer, but um, it certainly presented certain challenges that make you think about when you're watching a film how they do it, how they would how they set up this shot or whatever. Um, what they said to the actors <laughs> to get them, you know, ready for the scene um, and things like that. So it does feel like a bit of the magic's gone, but maybe it's just needed for, I, I don't know. I don't think it's like you need to have a deeper understanding of how a film is made to, to understand film itself. But I do think it, it helps um, kind of see where the filmmaker is going with it. If, they don't achieve what they set out to do necessarily because as like as we all know like most people most writers and directors they do have a vision for it whether that comes out through the filming is a different question and then whether it comes out through editing is also a different question because everyone says like it's written three times once on the page once when you shoot it and once when you edit it so um it is a really hard and arduous process um and i do think that's what we Maybe we don't we don't do it that well on this podcast sometimes, but we do try and focus on on the intent of, of the film rather than just saying like yeah. it's I think that's, terrible. That's, that's hard, isn't it? To, to to really kind of that's it's a challenging thing about this podcast that we have to do that. Uh, even when you really feel like you don't want to. Like <laughs> if you really hate a film, yeah. it's very hard to to do that. But I think it's still good. I think I yes. I've watched films for this podcast. You know, I've only done this is episode six, whatever, but films I would never watch before. So it's always good. Yeah, I'm very happy to. And, um, you know, like I'm memeing John Claude Van Damme a little bit, but again, <laughs> like I thought it was very entertaining. <laughs> and <laughs> I, I don't know if I'd do it again, but like I did find him very entertaining for, for the most part. And uh, maybe there's a certain like childlike quality to his acting that is quite charming. So I'll give him that. I, I think that's it. I think it is. <laughs> like a film of the times and it is it is that movie magic it's you sit there and you watch a film about fighting and there's a girl and there's a revenge plot i think overall it's it's a fine movie you know it's it's something that the layman watcher can sit down and enjoy especially in that time it, it really plays on people or male fantasy mm. and it, there's action there's adventure there's a, a new place in the world like an exotic location i think it, it has got it all yes that's very true at the end of the day it has it all that's a good summary of the film actually yeah. i think i'd be on the poster for kickboxer if they did a re remaster just says it has it all fred marlin underneath <laughs>
I can't get I, I, just on a last note I just can't get over like he, did you see like the cut of his like trousers sometimes they like almost <laughs> framed his penis like specifically did you notice that that you was fucking that. weird it they was like he was I think it was hard caps. to not notice <laughs> I think it's the trousers were it was so like, high up and the belt was so tight that it was just yeah. it was constricting around certain areas which I was uncomfortable with um, yeah, and uh, I, I will know. say, like, he was also incredibly comfortable with his masculinity because the shot where, <laughs> I, I mentioned it earlier, but the shot where he was stretching his legs out and then he was, like, mm. moaning off screen, like, moaning slash groaning off screen, like, it honestly, I've never laughed that hard. I felt like I was watching a gay porno. It was, I like, mean, the opening and, scene. And when for him like... to be comfortable with that. I'll give them they're on their honeymoon, you know, the opening yeah. scene when they arrived, two brothers, like arm in arm. You know, he was wearing, what's the outfit he was wearing? He was wearing double denim with no shirt underneath the <laughs> yeah. top level. He got the fuck yeah, like out. a denim waistcoat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What a legend. Yeah, what a legend. I was like, do they know that, like, it's one of those things that I wonder, like, if they're so straight, they don't even realize how it looks, like, mm. how homoerotic it looks, because there are some people that, like, not some people, but you can be like that level of straightness. Um, and I just thought, you know what? This is really ironic considering it's like a macho fantasy. Yeah, that but, is fine. Uh, um, well, there we are. On that note. <laughs> on that note. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, Freddie, for this episode of this. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Thanks, Freddie. And thank you, Xiao, for being here as always. And um, thank you. Thank you to our listeners for listening to this amazing conversation and we will see you next time bye